welcome again to the PMNR Lady Doc Sports Reviews. This will be on pain. My name is Dr. Marjorie Mansaan. Here with Dr. Trisha Prince. And Dr. Patricia Goodwin. Today we will go over some physiology, pharmacology, pain syndromes, back pain, and interventional spine procedures. We will start with a little physiology review to understand how pain is transmitted throughout the body. Bear with me because some of this is a little bit dry, but I know that more and more of us are wanting to go into pain fellowships, so this should be interesting. So physiology, peripheral sensory fiber types. There are three different types of afferent sensory fiber types to remember. Type A beta, type A delta, and type C. Both type A beta and type A delta are myelinated and type C is unmyelinated. Type A beta fibers transmit to lamina three and four. Type A delta fibers transmit to lamina one, three, and four. And type C fibers transmit to lamina one and two. Type A beta is mainly for proprioception, along with touch, vibration, and pressure. Type A delta is for sensation, mainly for sharp pain and temperature, but also for light touch. Type C fibers are for pain that is dull, achy, and burning type, as well as for temperature. Velocity of transmission is fastest in type A beta, which is 30 to 60 meters per second. Velocity for type A delta is 10 to 15 meters per second, and velocity for type C fibers are the slowest, which is less than 1.5 meters per second. That's a lot of information, and I suggest going back and listening to this and kind of writing it in a table format so you can understand it and visualize it better. The next is wide dynamic range neurons. These are the second order neurons in the spinal cord, mostly in lamina three and four. They receive input from low threshold A beta fibers, nociceptive A delta fibers, and type C fibers. Responses here are graded, which reflect the type of stimulus fiber. Then there's the gate control theory. This is the idea that non-painful input Traveling along A-beta fibers inhibit fibers of nociceptive input to wide dynamic range cells. This concept, for example, explains how and why the use of TENS units alleviates pain. Next, let's go over some pharmacology. Here are some definitions. PKA. PKA is when 50% of a drug is ionized. Non-ionized form crosses lipid membranes easily. This means that a lower PKA has a faster onset. Octanol slash water partition coefficient. Octanol slash water partition coefficient is lipid solubility. Lipid soluble drugs exert the most effect in the localized area of administration. An example of a lipid soluble drug is fentanyl. Know your opioid receptor types. Mu1. The effect of mu1 receptor is analgesia. Mu2. The effect of mu2 receptors are non-algesic effects such as respiratory depression, sedation, vomiting, euphoria, anorexia, physical dependency, and pruritus. You can think of mu1 receptors for pain relief, and mu2 receptors are the adverse effects of pain medication. Delta. Delta receptor is for analgesia, specifically for spinal anesthesia. Kappa. Kappa receptor is for analgesia and for non-analgesic effects as well, such as sedation, psychomimetic effects, dyspnea, respiratory depression, and psychotic effects like euphoria and dysphoria. Know the following opioid agonists. Oxycodone, oxymorphone, hydromorphone, tramadol, morphine, meperidine, codeine, hydrocodone, methadone, and fentanyl. 
And here are some concepts to know about these opioid agonists. Tramadol is a weak mu agonist and a weak norepinephrine slash serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which means it is contraindicated with an MAOI or SSRI to avoid serotonin syndrome. Morphine. Do not use morphine in renal failure patients. Meperidine. Do not use alongside MAOI. Mechanism of action is unknown, but reaction is severe and can be fatal. Codeine. Codeine metabolizes into morphine, causing analgesia. It is also used for its antitussive and antidiarrhea effects. Methadone. Methadone is a norepinephrine and serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It is an NMDA antagonist, which may cause QT prolongation. Fentanyl. Again, fentanyl is very lipid-soluble with an octanol water partition coefficient of 860. Know the mixed opioid agonist and antagonists. Buprenorphine is a partial mu and kappa agonist and delta antagonist. For example, the drug Suboxone form contains naloxone, which is a receptor antagonist. The drugs pentazacine, butorphanol, and nalbuphine are both kappa agonists and mu antagonists. Now I will go over some opioid metabolites. This is another thing that you might want to re-listen to afterwards and try to draw out, that way you can visualize it better. This is important as many potent drugs have potent opioid metabolites. Let us start with heroin, which is the strongest. Heroin metabolizes to 6-monoacetylmorphine, which then metabolizes to morphine. Morphine metabolizes to hydromorphone. Now let's consider codeine. Codeine metabolizes to morphine as well, which as I said, metabolizes into hydromorphone. Codeine also metabolizes to hydrocodone, which in turn metabolizes into hydromorphone. Oxycodone, which is weaker than those previously mentioned, metabolizes into oxymorphone. Again, better to visualize when it is all drawn out. Question, what are some main side effects of opioids? Constipation. Great. There's also respiratory sedation, which can lead to death. Cough reflex inhibition, this is mainly with codeine and sexual dysfunction as it causes hypogonadism and is associated with low testosterone. Now let's talk about something a little bit safer. Um, let's talk about NSAIDs. NSAIDs inhibit COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes. COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes produce prostaglandins, which in turn create an inflammatory response after tissue injury. NSAIDs with more COX-2 selectivity reduce GI side effects. Some examples of NSAIDs with more COX-2 selectivity are meloxicam, celecoxib, diclofenac, and solindac. Note that solindac is not commonly used as it causes liver failure. Now let's talk about a drug that is frequently used in our field, gabapentin. Question, what is the mechanism of action of gabapentin? Answer, gabapentin interacts with alpha-2 delta subunit of the L-type calcium channels, allowing for alleviation of neuropathic pain. Be very careful as this, it is a very common mistake for test takers to think that gabapentin deals with GABA receptors as the word GABA is in the name, but don't be fooled. Question, what are the side effects of gabapentin? Dizziness. Yes. 
sedation, yes, um, and edema. All right, now that we've got some of the high-yield pharmacology out of the way, let's move on to the next topic, a little bit more interesting, pain syndromes. There are three different types of pain, nociceptive or somatic pain, visceral pain, and neuropathic or central pain. Nociceptive pain is mediated by the somatic nervous system. It is described as deep somatic pain, which is dull and aching, superficial somatic pain, which is sharp and pricking, as well as burning, localized and reproducible pain. The causes of nociceptive pain is from noxious perception from tissue damage, from skin, muscle, bone, or fascia. Visceral pain is mediated by the autonomic nervous system. It is described as crampy, dull, and vague in location. The cause of visceral pain is from internal structures of solid or hollow organs. Neuropathic, aka central pain, is described as burning, tingling, shooting, stabbing, electric-like, and may be associated with numbing. Its cause is a primary lesion or dysfunction of the pain-sensing nervous system, either in the central or peripheral nervous system. Let's switch gears a little bit to talk about a couple high-yield cancer pain syndromes. Post-mastectomy pain syndrome and hypertrophic pulmonary osteoarthropathy. Post-mastectomy pain syndrome causes intercostal brachial neuralgia at the level of T1 and T2. Symptom is chronic neuropathic pain in the axilla, shoulder, arm, and or chest wall shortly after or several months post-surgery. There is a greater risk with lumpectomy versus mastectomy. Likewise, there is a greater risk with post-axillary dissection. Hypertrophic pulmonary osteoarthropathy happens when a lung tumor causes symmetrical painful arthropathy of the ankles, knees, wrists, and elbows. There is also clubbing and periosteal proliferation of tubular bones. Pain improves after tumor resection. Treatment includes NSAIDs or bisphosphonates for advanced lung cancer. For treatment of cancer pain in general, consider the WHO analgesic ladder. For mild to moderate pain, treatment is with a non-opioid analgesic, which may include an adjuvant. For moderate pain, add on a short-acting opiate. For moderate to severe pain, add on a short-acting and long-acting opioid. Some invasive treatments to cancer pain include dorsal root entry zone lesioning, DREZ lesioning, and chordotomy. DREZ lesioning selectively destroys neurons in the posterior lateral spinal cord. This is useful in syndromes associated with neurons that develop paroxysmal hyperactivity following deafferentation injury, for example, brachial plexus avulsion. Chordotomy is the ablation of the spinothalamic tract causing selective loss of pain and temperature contralateral to the lesion. This is used for pleural and peritoneal mesothelioma. Bilateral chordotomies may be required for visceral pain. The effect is temporary. The next syndrome we will review is very high yield, complex regional pain syndrome, or CRIPS. Know the difference between the two subtypes. CRPS type 1 occurs without major nerve damage. CRPS type 2 has evidence of nerve damage, aka causalgia. CRPS treatment involves functional restoration, medications such as NSAIDs, antidepressants, anticonvulsants, opioids, DSMO, 
NAC, and the most ward high yield treatment is sympathetic nerve blocks. Next, pelvic pain, aka painful bladder syndrome, aka interstitial cystitis. This is chronic inflammation of the bladder submucosal and muscular layers wherein the bladder wall becomes irritated, stiffened, and scarred. This affects women more than men. A guide specialist once said, this is commonly a woman with a high-stress lifestyle and a type A personality that has a frequent urge to pee. 10% of patients are found to have hunter's ulcers, which are patches of broken skin on the bladder wall. Symptoms include dysuria, urinary urgency and frequency, nocturia, and painful sexual intercourse. It is often misdiagnosed and treated as a UTI or cystitis. Interstitial cystitis is a diagnosis of exclusion. However, a potassium sensitivity test can be used in which potassium and water are placed into the bladder and a positive test is indicated with more pain or urgency with potassium and water than with water alone. Treatment is difficult and can involve patient education, diet modification, stress management, PT, antidepressants, bladder insulation or hydrodistension, neuromodulation of the sacral and pudendal nerve, botulinum toxin injections, and surgery. Speaking of pelvic pain, when thinking of nerve roots and neuropathic pelvic pain, remember that the ilioinguinal nerve is innervated by T12 to L1. The iliohypogastric nerve is T12 to L1. Also, the genitofemoral nerve is L1 to L2. The lateral femoral cutaneous nerve is L2 to L3. And the obturator nerve is L2 to L4. Next syndrome is irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. IBS is abdominal pain for six months and at least three times per month without other diagnostic cause. This affects women more than men and is most common under the age of 45 years old. Comorbidities include history of headache, fibromyalgia, depression, and chronic fatigue syndrome. Symptoms include chronic abdominal pain, bloating, urgency to move bowels, tenesmus, and improvement with bowel movement. Onset is likely after an infection, stressful life event, or maturity onset. IBS can be diarrhea predominant, constipation predominant or mixed. Next, let's talk about a biggie and outpatient physiatry. Spinal pain, facetogenic pain. Question, what does the medial branch innervate? It innervates the level above and the same level. Yes, the medial branch is affected in facet syndrome. Know that the medial branch innervates the facet joint, multifidus muscle, interspinal ligament and muscle, and the periosteum of the neural arch. In the lumbar spine, each facet is innervated by the medial branch at the same level and above, like Dr. Prince said. For example, L4 to L5 facet joint is mediated by L3 and L4 medial branches. L5 is an exception. L5 dorsal ramus does not have a medial branch nerve and innervates the facet joint directly. Discogenic pain. Know the innervation of the discs. Posterior innervation is with the senovertebral nerves. Lateral innervation is with the ventral rami and anterolateral innervation is with the gray rami communicants. Discogenic pain can be caused by degenerative processes. Know how to identify the modic classification of degenerative vertebral end plates changes in, on MRI.
There's three types, monic type 1, 2, and 3. Monic type 1 is bright on T2 MRI and dark on T1 MRI as this depicts edema. It is characterized by a scaffolding pattern fractured in many places and the marrow is substituted by serum blister. Monic type 2 is bright on T2 and T1 as this depicts fat. This is also characterized by a scaffolding pattern and the marrow is substituted by visceral fat. Monic type 3 is dark on both T1 and T2 as this depicts bony sclerosis. Monic type 3 is rare and is characterized by bone scar tissue. Note for those of you interested in interventional pain fellowship, there is a new minimally invasive technique used to treat monic type 1 and type 2 degeneration. More about that later. Next, let's take a breather with some easy board questions on chronic low back pain. Question. What is the likelihood of returning to work after being off from work for six months? 50%. Great. What is the likelihood of returning to work after being off from work for one year? 25%. Yes. What is the likelihood of returning to work after being off for more than two years? Zero. Just zero. Basically zero. zero <laughs> but less than 5% for sure. So don't get those ones wrong because those truly are easy, just memorize kind of questions. Moving on to interventional spine procedures. Just some notes on radiation safety. Use lead apron, thyroid shield, and lead glasses. The x-ray tube should be positioned as far away as possible from the patient. The x-ray image intensifier should be placed as close to the patient as possible. Collimation, also known as the narrowing of the x-ray beam, reduces and scatters radiation. Short pulses of exposure are safer than continuous exposure. And kilovoltage peak should be increased while minimizing the milliamps. Know the following anesthetics and maximum dosages. Bupivacaine. The recommended dose is 2.5 milligrams per kilogram and the maximum dose is 175 milligrams. Lidocaine. Recommended is 4.5 milligrams per kilogram and max dose is 300 milligrams. Ropivacaine, max dose is 200 milligrams. Procaine, recommended is 7 milligrams per kilogram and max dose is 350 to 600 milligrams. Corticosteroids, how do they work? Corticosteroids cause direct inhibition of C-fiber neuronal membrane excitation and induce synthesis of phospholipase A2 inhibitor. This decreases prostaglandin synthesis. Some notes on corticosteroids. The following corticosteroids have little or no mineral, mineralocorticoid activity. Dexamethasone, betamethasone, methylprednisolone, and triamcinolone. Both dexamethasone and betamethasone have increased glucocorticoid activity therefore increasing blood glucose. Consider the two neurolysis agents, alcohol and phenol. Alcohol is hypobaric compared to cerebral spinal fluid and phenol is hyperbaric, hyperbaric compared to CSF. The patient position after alcohol neurolysis is to lay on the unaffected side, semi-prone. The patient position after phenol neurolysis is to lay on the affected side, semi-supine. Question, what are some acute adverse reactions to spinal injections? Hypotension. Yes. Pain. Bleeding. Mm -hmm. 
infection. Mm -hmm. um, so other ones are urticaria, facial and laryngeal edema, bronchospasm, bradycardia, associated with hypotension, uh, tachycardia also associated with hypotension, um, severe hypertension, seizures, pulmonary edema, and anaphylactic reaction. Treatment involves alleviating the symptoms with keeping in mind the ACLS protocol that we should all know. Question, what are toxicity problems of local anesthetics? Early toxicity includes perioral and tongue paresthesias, dizziness and orthostasis. Late toxicity includes muscle twitching, drowsiness, CNS depression, respiratory depression, tonic-clonic seizures, bradycardia, hypotension, cardiac arrhythmia, and cardiac arrest. Um, treatment is to follow ACLS protocol, treat the arrhythmia, and consider lipid emulsion therapy. Now let's talk about epidurals. There are three injection approaches, transferaminal, interlaminar, and caudal. For the transferaminal approach, the target endpoint is inferior to the six o'clock position of the pedicle in the upper third of the neural foramen. Stay in the quote unquote safe triangle to avoid neural and vascular injury. Question, what are the borders of the safe triangle? So you have your superior lateral and your quote unquote hypotenuse border. Your hypotenuse is your spinal nerve root. Your lateral border is the lateral edge of the vertebral body, and your superior border is the line that's parallel to the inferior border of the pedicle. Correct. Again, safe triangle is the lateral edge of the vertebral body, the line parallel to the inferior border of the pedicle, and the hypotenuse, the hypotenuse of those two. Next is the interlaminar approach. This is done with the AP view on fluoroscopy and uses the loss of resistance technique in which the syringe is advanced into the interlaminar space. The target is reached after there is a loss of resistance as the needle passes through the supraspinous ligament, then the interspinous ligament, and then finally the ligamentum flavum. Finally, the caudal approach. This is the simplest as the needle is advanced through the sacral hiatus which is identified with palpation. The needle should not be advanced higher than S3 level. Note that this has the least risk of dural puncture and that the medication is diffused to the greatest degree. Next, let's go over sympathetic blocks. Here are some concepts to know about the sympathetic nervous system pathway. Presynaptic sympathetic fibers from T1 to L2 leave the central nervous system via ventral roots. They travel through white rami and synapse with paired sympathetic paravertebral ganglia. Then they pass through the sympathetic chain as phalanctic nerves that synapse with the prevertebral ganglia. Finally, the exit with the spinal nerve via gray rami communicants for peripheral distribution. Stellate ganglion blocks. The target here is the carotid tubercle or chasignac probably saying that wrong, tubercle of the C6 vertebral body. Complication is ipsilateral Horner syndrome, which is ptosis, meiosis, and anhydrosis. Celiac plexus blocks. 
Celiac plexus blocks are indicated with epigastric or visceral pain, for example, pain with pancreatic cancer. Superior hypogastric plexus block. This is indicated in chronic pelvic pain, either from gynecological, colorectal, or genitourinary cancer. Finally, let's talk about spinal cord stimulation. The spinal cord stimulator is placed with the idea of the gate control theory to alleviate pain. The spinal cord simulator introduces external neuromodulation via non-painful electrical signals from percutaneous electrodes placed over the dorsal columns. Some complications of implanting the device are infection, skin erosion, pump failure, catheter kinking, migration, or obstruction, and catheter tip granuloma formation. And that's it. That concludes the PMR review on pain. My reference is mainly Cucurello. Actually, all Cucurello. Happy studying. PMNR Lady Docs makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. While the information contained within the podcast is believed to be accurate at the time of reporting, no guarantee is given that the information provided in this podcast is correct, complete, and or up to date. The materials contained on this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute medical or other professional advice on any subject matter. All information, content, and material of this podcast is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. If you're having a medical emergency, stop this podcast and call 911.